Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 11 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt, co-host Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. Lud, listen, I want to jump right on top of a topic that you added to show notes this week. Tell us what you're talking about. I'm reading an article that you shared. It's title, What to Know About Texas's Clash with the Biden Administration Over Border Patrol. Lud, what are you talking about, man? Um, so the Texas has an area uh, in, near the Rio Grande called Eagle Pass. Right. <laughs> Uh, that they have taken this park, it's about a 50-acre park, and not allowed the federal agents into it, and the Border Patrol, essentially, and said, we are, we are manning this region that has a pass-through for coyotes and immigrants to come through, and we are not allowing them in. And the federal government said, either let us in or else. And the big question everybody's asking is, or else what? What is the out? What What do you guess? What do you, What's the outcome? Who wins that war? Political war. Yes, well, that's really what it is. But the, but the statute's five thousand dollars fine or up to three years in prison. So are they? Is the government now saying that they will put the national guardsmen of Texas in jail or fine them for following the state orders? Well, that that would be Abbott himself if someone were to try to do that. But I don't think that constitutionally under the precepts of, of federalism, I don't think that that will stand up. Um, I flatly don't believe it. But listen, that dovetails uh, with an article that I'm that I'm reading, if I can find it here. It's a uh, journalist uncover shadowy network of NGOs facilitating U.S. border invasion. Well, their words, not mine, folks. But when I read into the article, this is from ZeroHedge.com, by the way. When I read into the article, uh, it talks about the American Red Cross being directly involved in, in helping to facilitate this migration process. It's illegal invasion. And folks, listen, I'm not trying to be shrill. If we're talking about 100 people seeking asylum, that's migration. If you're talking about millions of people that's an infiltration on, on the edge of serving as an annexation. And, and by the way, again, I'm not trying to be shrill. I'm just using poli-sci 101 definition. When you start reproaching 9 and 10 million people inside a two- or three-year window, that, that's, info, that, <laughs> that's way more than migration. Well, what, are, what are nonprofit? Here's the side con concept I'm trying to get my head around. The side concept here is nonprofit corporations that are federally funded. How in the world does it, we've gotten to a point where we've got nonprofit migrant organizations that are federally funded? Folks, come on. That's not the purpose of federal funding and tax dollars. I'm sorry, Lud, but get, keep going, man. No, no, and I, I think there's two things, there's two points I want to make is one on the federal funding like you bring up is we, we all know there's black ops and there's a black budget and the CIA operates under that. And that's nothing that hasn't been exposed, especially when we look back at the Iran-Contra affair during Reagan's time. But number two, when we think of the border and, and 
remember, I'm a I'm younger generation than you guys, and I think the border's been something that's been a very big issue in my lifetime and has continued to be through my lifetime. And even the people my generation and, and younger think of it as Mexican illegal immigrants. But that's the problem. These aren't Mexicans coming through anymore. That is gone. It is now people from Somalia, China. We're not talking about people that are land uh, land infiltration. We're talking about people that actually are flying over to purposely infiltrate our government, our country illegally because they may or may not be able to pass through actual checkpoints in a uh, actual airport. Well, yeah, they're that's not. where the fearsomeness comes from. But but listen to one point. I I got a dovetail. When you talk about your lifetime, understand if you read if you read a, a famous speech by Teddy Roosevelt, um, I, I, this is not a new issue. This is this is a century plus story that unfolds. You, we hear the term wetback, and everyone thinks it's racist. It's not. It's the actual name of a federal law. It was the Wetback Act, and it didn't talk about racism. It talked about people being wet from crossing the Rio Grande. That's what the word, the term meant. But we've so had our our language stolen from us for political purposes that sometimes it's hard to unravel the history of this. But if we don't know where we've been, folks, we're in trouble trying to figure out where we're going if we don't even know where we've been. It's a hundred years in the making. Yes, it came after a conflict with Mexico that we decidedly won and then paid $15 million. But they act like many people on the left act like we stole the land. No, we didn't steal the land. We weren't the initial perpetrator of that war, by the way, but we absolutely won it and drove all the way to Mexico City. And then after we took the land that we won in the war, then we paid for it. Now I look, and if you go into any city in the United States, Grand Rapids, Michigan, I use it as an example. You go into a supermarket in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you pick an aisle. You'll find people on every single aisle in the supermarket that cannot speak English. I don't have a problem with them, by the way. So please don't understand what I, what, misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is that when the numbers are that significant, we have a problem. We don't know who these folks are. And I've said all along, the entire history of this show, I've been perfectly clear about it. I've got four daughters. If I were living in one of these third world countries, I would have found a way to get my daughters into the United States. So understand, I side with most of those folks. But where where, (laughs) the hitch in my get-along is that our immigration program, the policies that we have, are absolutely rubbish. There are but Mike, when you're looking at the when you're looking at the border, we're not seeing families crossing. We're seeing right. adult Young, males between the age yeah. of twenty and forty coming yeah. through individually. Yeah, we're we're and we're they're six. not talking about South Americans. We're talking about Middle Eastern descent, Asian descent. Right. That means they had to have flown over there. To come through, right? They weren't. We're not land connected to these countries that are coming through. That's where I think the media needs to report this more. And, and I know the right media does, but the mainstream, regardless of what side media needs to report, like guys, America, we have people coming through 
that are from enemy nations between 20 and 40 years old. Is right. this now asylum seekers or is this an infiltration? What do you think as Americans? Yeah, I, I know this person right here, Mike Hewitt, to me, this is an infiltration. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily just looking at the fact that a lot of these people are of military capacity, meaning they are they are very healthy young men. And typically when I look at a military, that's who I see, right or wrong, not even taking a political position. That's what I see. And that's what I see crossing. Folks, when you look at all the pictures, ABC News, CNN at all, they want to show you the rear family. But the truth is, is exactly what Led said. When they drop back and pan the actual audience of these huge swaths of people coming across, the overwhelming majority of them are exactly to your point. And in fact, you said 20 to 40, and in truth, they're young 20s. And if we're not concerned that we have no clue who's coming in, then we're dimwits. The idea that we don't have some kind of process to, to actually know who we're letting in, man, it's idiocy on steroids. And unfortunately, it has gotten lost in the debate over globalists versus nationalists. And folks, that's not how I keep my daughters and grandkids safe. That's a dumb argument for a crisis. The numbers are at crisis level, both financially and otherwise. Listen, we've got a lot more. Please stay with us. We've got to go to a break, but we will be right back. Let's jump back into this. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around the thought process difference between left and right. And I, and by the way, folks, all the Democrats listening, let me say it again. Thank you very much. I respect you. I appreciate you listening. We can disagree and not be enemies. That's an important nuance that we've got to, as a culture, get our heads back around, in my opinion. But, but we still have disagreements in thought. And I genuinely don't understand things. I'm reading uh, things from the left. I'm reading an article. This is from Fox News, but I say it again, I found it all over the place. Freshman Dem proposes bill to remove Statue of Liberty in protest of GOP's bigoted immigration law. Uh, that's Representative Maxwell Frost. I, here's the problem I have with that. I try to get my head around the idea of first off the call for removing of every monument and statue that these folks can figure out and find but to take down the statue of liberty because you don't believe in a law folks our immigration laws here's the irony to this most of the laws that i'm opining that we're not following on our southern border were democrat enacted i mean if you start looking at them if you do a deep dive on this and i'm not exonerating republicans I'm just telling you factually, if you look at where the most of this is, it's from an era where the Democratic Party for decades controlled the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate. Leading up through and through the Reagan era, it was almost decades of all Democrats for 40 years, 50 years. And most of the laws that we're talking about that govern those borders and that govern how we, how we accept migrants 
were Democrat generated. So this guy wants to take down the Statue of Liberty because of GOP laws. And go, well, first off, buy a history book, you nitwit. Second off, what a disrespect to my family to start with and to many families that actually came through Ellis Island and underneath that statue and thought, holy smokes, we've been saved. Lud, what do you think? Am I off in the drink on this? No, let's start with who this guy is, okay? Yep, yep. (laughs) Number one, no one knows who he is, okay? So this is going to be his claim to fame. So I had to go do a little research. He's 27 years old, which means his life experience is nil. He's the first Generation Z congressperson. Now, remember, you got to be 25 to be in Congress. Right. So he just barely meets that threshold. 25 today versus... 1783, big difference. But just a year ago, he just turned 27, by the way, this week. So right. he just finally graduated from being on his parents' insurance. I was going to mention he's that. Now, <laughs> he's in the U.S. Congress telling us to, to remove probably the most famous statue that represents what America stands for, yeah, of being a most, melting pot. and Most famous in the world, but... Here's where I got to push back on you a little bit. And listen, I suddenly I feel like I'm during the Obama era arguing over this stuff. This guy's 27. Yes, he's young. But I came from an era, folks. You got to remember, in fact, this is my birthday week. It's Miles Bauer's birthday week. So I'm 63 now. I came from an era where 27 years old. By the time I got to 27, I already had four daughters and I was on my second home. And, And in our... In most of our lifetimes, 27 years old, if you are a really hardworking person, you could be a colonel, you could be a major, you could be leading brigades of people, you could be a medical doctor in charge of a trauma unit, you could do all kinds of things instead of sitting in mommy's basement on her insurance policy. I, I push back a little bit because I come from a world that we're 27 years old, men who are a dog on a doll, and he ought to act like that. The scary part about his advancing this is he thinks that's going to garner him some notoriety. And it, and it does on the left. He's got people applauding this nonsense. How do you get your head around that? Well, and, and this is my whole point, Mike, was that your generation, my generation, by 27, I had, I had two, almost three kids too. I mean, um, I had businesses already started. This guy's biggest claim to fame was being a political campaign uh, activist and working with youth. Listen, so, but, but, but love the man one. He's a congressman. I take nothing from that. I really don't. Even, the guy, when I think of congressman, I think of founding fathers that were congressmen, not Nimrods trying to take down the Statue of Liberty. I did, but you know what I think of the new ones? AOC. Uh, and I think uh, of the new education system that we have voting uh, are people like this. Yep. I think of Bill the, this is the future, Mike. I, I, listen, then, then if, there, if that's the future, America's future is in grave peril. When I think of congressmen contemporarily, um, I, Joe Manchin, a senator, uh, Bill Heisinger, a congressman, doesn't, folks, doesn't mean I believe that I am in agreement with everything that these people do, but they're responsible people. They take on a responsible leadership role. And that, that what this guy is advancing is not responsible. It's, it's, 
<laughs> but that it, he thinks it's going to garner him some support, and it is. He's using it as a fundraiser. And I think to myself, holy smokes, who looks at the notion of removing the Statue of Liberty and says, where's my checkbook? I got to send this guy some money. Who thinks that way? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm that's funny. Like, grab my checkbook. He wants to get rid of the Statue of Liberty. Let's go. But that's what he's like, using. That is just... The idea that it's a fundraiser is fearsome to me. Not because he's an idiot. It is. But because there's somebody with $100 that thinks that, that that's such a great idea. His check's on the way. Listen, let's change gears. Don't, don't call them morons. I didn't, but it was a moronic thing to call for. There you, you go. You can say that. You got me, Ludwig. Senator Rubio slams networks for not carrying Trump's remarks after his historic uh, primary findings in Iowa. Uh, and I, I, I listen, uh, the idea that CNN, MSNBC, MSNBC decided not to air his comments at all. He's a former president. Um, when I watch Bill Clinton speak, uh, as as a former president, not when he's off on Epstein's island, but when he's serving in the capacity of a former president, I listen. Um, I do. Uh, if he's on the news, if he's making news, he's a former president of the United States, and I'm not a big supporter of him, but I passionately support the presidency of the United States. That chair. Um, if <laughs> if uh, who you know people, <laughs> I I I try to get my head around the idea. That these the, the media, and I'm not one of those up like Trump pointing at the media screaming fake news. Not against Trump, by the way. That's just not who I am. But when I start reading these kind of articles, in this case, Rubio, who I, by the way, I'm not a big Rubio supporter, just to be clear on that. I'm not against him, but he's not one, he's not going to be getting a check in the mail from me. He's a little bit too, too, uh, uh it doesn't matter. He, my issue with it when I read this and I look back at the angst and the division going on in the United States, it goes to exactly these kind of stories, in my view, that they can tell half of America, plus or minus, we can argue over election fraud and argue with the left, argue with the right. The bottom line is half of America is disrespected when CNN MSNBC at all, the entire group of them, say your former president that's making a speech on a historic victory, like him or not, folks, he got 51%. That's the highest ever in that primary. The next person to get near that was uh, Bob Dole in 1988 with 12%. Get your head around that for a minute. The idea that a former president with that kind of that kind of draw in the primary wasn't worth it. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, and don't forget one vote, one vote kept him from going a hundred percent of the counties. Yes. That's that's a and even that was that the county that brought in all the Democrats to, to get Nikki Haley yeah. up. Ah yeah. folks, we have to, we gotta talk about <laughs> that for a minute after the break, Lud. Because that, that to me that's a big story and it goes to a lot of debates we're having on the ground. Folks, we'll be right back.
folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Mike Hewitt, co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. Listen, let me stop for a minute and tell you, we are broadcasting from our flagship station, WHTC, Holland, Michigan, 99.7 FM, 1450 AM, here on the beautiful but cold shores of Lake Michigan. Uh, we want to thank all of our affiliates for carrying us. Folks, if you're hearing us outside of the great state of Michigan, you are listening to the finest radio station in your community. We thank your radio station, but mostly we thank you for joining us. Ludwig, listen, before we jump into the news, you and I recently had an exchange about Nikki Haley's second place victory in Iowa. What's your take on that? Third. Third place Third victory. Place. Yeah, thank you. Her almost second place. She come really close. We're two percent underneath, underneath uh, second. Thank you for correcting me. But what's yeah. your? What, but the reason I want make sure that's right is because remember, DeSantis was going to drop out after Iowa because he was supposed to get third, and Mrs. Haley, right, was supposed to be the godsend to beat Trump, right, and she got third, but she won one county, right, by one vote, right, and what the what they were doing was. They were legitimately calling Democrats to come in and change parties so they could caucus in that county. Right. And they had 50 actual papers ready for this to happen. Because every primary, they, they say in every caucus, it happens. So people, that's when they make their changes that they've decided to change parties. So they're used to it happening. Uh, but So they had 50 of them. They had so many that people were leaving the caucus to go home to actually print off papers to bring in for the people to fill out uh, that she ended up winning that county by one individual vote to beat Trump. It would be fun to know the math of how many Democrats actually came to that county and helped her flip it um, in terms of percentage. It really would be fun to know that. But I got to tell you, let me be snarky for a second, folks, my my emails and my texts, partly because of the radio show, partly because of the various positions I've held for the Michigan Republican Party over the years, get blown up with more than more than, for instance, my wife. I get gobs every single day from various candidates. And leading up to that, I was getting gobs and gobs and gobs of texts from Nikki Haley's campaign. And I got to where I just had a cut and paste message. I'm not a Democrat, stop pursuing me, leave me alone. Because I see her, and this is my politeness, as center left. She is not a supporter of a small R, a Republican form of self-governance. She is a supporter of central command that knows best. She'll never, ever get my support, ever. And in fact, if it were her and a Democrat and they were on the ballot, I would skip the presidential line because I can't tell the difference. I just I'm being honest with you. If I look at if I just look at her platform of the things that she's actually done, she's a Democrat. And if I were a centrist or a center leaning Democrat, I could ab I could absolutely believe that somebody could call me up and say, come help us push her ahead of Trump, push her ahead of DeSantis, et cetera. I can see how that went. But when you when you brought this conversation up with me, Lud Ludwig, it brought me to a greater argument. 
grassroots in Michigan and grassroots in most of the state parties across the United States debate over the idea of having a, an opened or a closed primary. And even those that caucus want to change the rules to make it so that you can't wake up today on caucus day and decide you're a Republican and vote. They want controls placed on that. Um, what do you what do you say? What's your view of that of that position, Ludwig? Well, one on the presidential side of things, by the time we vote in our primaries, we don't really have much of a difference to make in it. In Michigan. August, in right. Michigan. On the state level of things uh, and their senators and, and, and uh, House of Representatives, I really don't see there's that much difference in change in those parties. And, and that there's enough to say we should close this down. And I remember Rush talking about this years ago that we could get them to, to rush in and put this person on the ballot. Yeah, you could. One, be careful what you wish for. Right. Because <laughs> what if that person actually wins? And you did not want that person. Right. Um, but it's a it's it's kind of one of those if you're in a classroom and if everybody fails, we all get A's. Sure. And nobody not that's not gonna happen because not everybody's gonna sure. take that chance. Well, let, let's use an example in Michigan of the gubernatorial race uh a couple of cycles ago, a few cycles ago, with with former Governor Rick Snyder. At the time there were three conservative gubernatorial candidates in Michigan and Rick Snyder. I say it that way, like him or hate him, he was centrist at best. I've heard him best described as apolitical. I think if 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 um, Granholm was the former governor before that race, if she would have been a Republican instead of a Democrat, meaning that goes back and forth, back and forth, I think then he would have ran as a Democrat and been just as happy as he was when he ran as a Republican. But what happened in our circumstance, in my view, is that the three candidates that were conservative, some to a lesser degree than others, divided up the conservative vote and that allowed Rick Snyder to win. Many of the grassroots at the time though, believed that the reason Rick Snyder win, won is because we have Democrats crossing into our primary, pushing him up. And I say the argument I have is a little bit beyond that. First off, Republicans do that to Democrats also. Let me just get that all down the table. Anyone that thinks that that doesn't happen from our side against the Dems, are, are, you need to get away from the echo chamber and do some research on the topic. I have. Um, that's part one. And part two is something Obama said always comes to mind on this topic. He said, and rightfully so, if everyone votes, we win. And what he meant to say with that is he believed at the time there were more people that associated themselves with Democrats than they do Republican or those that are independent that are not quite convinced they know where they're at. There's a lot of those folks, and I say that respectfully. I think he was right back then when he said that, and it caused me, frankly, everybody, to look at political parties a little bit different. So now Grassroots gets frustrated with Mike Hewitt when they hear me say this is not an ideological machine, this is a get out the vote machine. And I believe that we need to quit thinking we're going to win in an argument with on all of these issues. We're not going to win arguing over birth control. We're not going to win arguing over gay people and transgenders. And we're, we get lost in the weeds. And frankly, we get sucked into that. 
Yep. And rather than us becoming the party of no, we should become the the party of ideas and the party mechanism itself should be just to cause our side to go vote. And instead it's lost in this big power argument of who's in control and who's this and who's that and what ideology, you're not a Republican enough. Folks, we can't win with that. And if we if we fail, that which you actually oppose will win. So I'm asking you to slow the navigation speed. Yes, Lud? Hence, 20, hence 2022, right? Yes, 2022. Keeping in mind, I knew 2020's outcome, at least in Michigan in 2018, when the Democrats successfully ran a ballot initiative in Michigan to A, change the definition of a voter, and B, change how we're going to count the votes. There was, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not yelling fraud, rigged, okay, maybe rigged, but we flatly got out politics, and they're better at using these ballot initiatives and issues than the right is, because the rights to you, people like me are running around yelling about what Ben, ben Franklin said. People in the center don't care. We're down but to they're about the they're about to lose a big section of their populating votes, man. The black males are waking up, and they're about to lose them because they're finally coming forward saying, you're not helping us. We're going to start helping ourselves. At, well, listen, I love that. I, 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 politically, I love that. Forget math. Folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. Mike Hewitt here. Did you know the overwhelming majority of the electric used to power electric vehicles is generated by natural gas, coal, and nuclear energy? What impact on the environment does lithium mining have? What's done with the 800 pounds of extremely dangerous spent lithium batteries used in each EV? Why did rental giant Hertz dump their EVs in preference to gas-powered vehicles? How about this? Did you know that states like Michigan, New York, Oregon, and others with insane alternate fuel agendas are stripping away the rights of local communities to say no to them. Exactly how does that protect democracy? Don't want a field of hugely impractical taxpayer-funded wind generators circling your communities? Too bad. Fringe-left Democrats like Michigan's Governor Whitmer see their agendas as more important than your quality of life and safety. If we don't all stand up and tell them no, who will? Find The Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll like it. All right, Ludwig. What do you think when you when you hear that sixty second spot? Oh, I always love hearing those things. I think you're usually spot on with them. I should what now? I think you're spot on with those things every week. Yeah, you know, I I gotta tell you when I'm 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 looking at energy on that particular one, folks, and here I'm I'm wrestling my way through because it's like so many other things, left and right think. We literally, and even respectfully, we think so differently. So I'm, in fact, this is all your fault this week, Lud, because you got me <laughs> on this. But first, and I, let me break it into two sections, just like I did on that spot. First is the EV car. And I don't want to get lost in that, folks, I apologize. Let me just do a real brief on it. 
When I look at the environmental impact of an electric vehicle, it's mind-numbing to me. that The idea of the lithium mining, by the way, that's largely being done by slave labor, just telling you, you do a deep dive and look it up. When I look at what do we do with a spent 800-pound lithium battery when the car is dead, what do we do with it? Uh, folks, uh, what, are we, what are we charging it with? We're using coal and nuclear are the two primary drivers and then natural gas in that order. When I, when I, and by the way, speaking of electric vehicles, are you watching the result of that in the media this week with this cold snap? There's people all over the northern half of the United States in big, long lines trying to get their extremely expensive pile of junk charged up. This is what, what happened last year when we had the big storms out east. They were stuck all over the highway. Yeah, it's just, just I, folks, I, I get the desire. By the way, I honestly do. I'm not. I don't. I no. Hang on for just a second. I got to be intellectually honest. I, if we could find an alternative fuel that actually made sense, that's the caveat. It's got to actually make sense. It's got to actually function. It's got to actually keep my grandbabies safe when they're riding down the road without a fear of fire or them pulled over on the side of the highway, freezing to death. When it checks all those boxes, okay, we're just simply not there yet. And the idea that the federal government is funding money through it at crazy many in the billions, folks, that we're funneling taxpayer dollars into something that anybody knows is not a long-term proposition. It just isn't. And I always say, I always read these articles and they'll always have a little disclosure, including Tesla. Folks, listen, I'm I'm okay with Musk. I got no issue with them. But let me pause there for a minute. Musk wouldn't do this without free federal money. I'm just telling you. Musk is he's he's a, he's he, he's got a calculator. He looks at the math and while free money, I'm in. That's that's the first part of the equation. But then I look at what's going on in a number of states, and this was your hook to get me on this rant, Lud. When I look at what here in the state of Michigan, and folks, we're not the lone state. This is one of about a dozen states that I immediately know of. Whitmer, comrade, comrade, the Marxist, I'm sorry, she's a freak, extreme friend leftist she is and here's my example when i yelled back about covid and the restrictions she placed on us people roll their eyes oh mike that was three years ago move on now i watch what she's doing with her alternative energy and she's telling local communities so i grand rapids greenville michigan all of the cities in the state of michigan if if some wacko far left friends group finds a pool of federal money and says we want to put windmills around your city the city can't say no think about what i'm saying to you the city can't tell the state no and i think wait a minute i thought democrats were the ones that wanted to protect democracy how does it work if they're protecting democracy but my vote doesn't matter who are these people that my vote doesn't matter well, it's like anything else, Mike. It only matters if it's in line with, in lockstep with what they want. 
that's the only time it actually matters. That's the only time it actually comes to the forefront and is a concern. If you're against them, now you're anti-whatever. If you're with them, well, then you must be for this democracy. Well, no, 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 no. It's not democracy. That's called dictatorship. Yes. <laughs> so um, the We're idea okay that, by the way. Yeah, listen, I, I actually had a student this week because we talk about electric cars quite often in the econ class because there's so many parts of this this whole scenario with this industry from the cars to the charging to the infrastructure, all of it, that's really able to be implemented in, in electric econ. And normally I get people who want Teslas. That's about the only electric car they want, and it's because it's cool. But I actually had a girl uh, this this week talk, and she wants an electric car because she wants one. And it's environmentally friendly. And I'm like, whoa, we don't have time to start this in chapter one. We'll get to this later on throughout the semester, though. And it's like, okay, where do you take that? Because all the time I hear, well, I would want one. There's just not an infrastructure yet. The government hasn't built enough charging stations. My first response to that is, really, did the federal government build all those Wescos and those Amicos and those Texacos and those uh, – BPs, did they build those? Because the last time I checked, they didn't even start the company that's actually franchised that because that's actually a small business, uh, somebody who's bought that franchise. That is not a government gas station. Why do we need government charging stations? Yeah, because because the gas stations don't want that drama. But, but listen, on that note, did you happen by chance this past week to listen to the speech, actually read the text or listen to the translation of the new president elect in Argentina. And what he I was did talking not yet. About, what listen, you got folks folks that I, I am I implore you to move away from what I'm saying or what Lud is saying and listen to this guy that was just elected in Argentina talking about how Western culture in total has bought into socialism and he's predicting what the outcome of that will be. The guy is so smart that I worry for him because they're not going to tolerate that. I Frankly, I worry for Trump. I'm not a Trump publican like Miles is. I'm going to vote for him. I'm, my, I'm, not, I'm not running around beating on my chest screaming Trump. I'm not part of that crowd. But I do worry for him because the folks that are wanting globalization, I'm not trying to be shrill. Folks, I'm not. But the folks that want that want him dead. And the folks that listen to this man in Argentina want him dead. Anybody running around talking about personal uh, individualism, local community rights, your right to vote, actually vote, by the way, not big blocks of, of bags of votes that they can collect up and forage and et cetera, dump them in a mailbox somewhere, Folks that actually vote, anybody that supports that right, they don't want them around. They just don't. And Gretchen Whitmore in Michigan, with her we don't care what little communities say, stands as as a ringing example to that. And it's it's just uh, it's 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 a scary process to me. Listen, before we run out of time, we're down to just a minute. The average monthly car payment in America right now is $726 for a new car. 533 is the average payment for a used, the average rent payment 
is $1,372. Those are all 2023. Folks, we don't have any time, but that's what's coming next week because I can't get my head around how a nice young couple with one or two kids are able to survive in that kind of economy. That's socialism. Folks, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very, very concerned. So, you know, when I graduated but, high school, cars were cheap. It ain't no more, Mike. $99 down, $99 a month. Folks, be, please be safe. Thank you very much. We will see you next week.